This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Today, we're going to talk about budgeting quality control and the efforts that's required in order to check and maintain a level of quality in the work that you perform. If you don't budget your time and effort for quality control and quality reviews, you will not be able to catch the errors that you need to, to ensure your livelihood. I'm your host, Brian Wagner, a licensed professional engineer. In this episode of the Engineering Quality Control Podcast, we're talking with Anthony Fasano, PE and owner and founder of the Engineering Management Institute about the effectively budgeting for quality control reviews from both a time perspective and a monetary perspective. So let's jump right in. So I'd like to welcome back to the show the person that interviewed me for episode one of this podcast, and that is Anthony Fasano. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. It's great to be here. You've been doing an awesome job with this podcast. It's such an important topic, quality control, quality assurance. You've talked about both of them through some of the episodes, and it's been great. In case people don't know who you are and what you're doing for the engineering industry right now, can you share just a little bit about what you're doing with EMI and the work that you do? By background, I'm a licensed professional engineer, civil engineer by background, worked for some time in the land development world. And at some point in time, I think like a lot of engineering professionals, I knew I wanted to become kind of a partner or owner in the consulting firm that I worked for. And I noticed that the other kind of leaders in the firm had really good non-technical skills in addition to their technical backgrounds. And so I worked hard to develop those skills. And when I did, my company at the time asked me to conduct some training on those skill sets to the other professionals in the firm. And, and in doing that, number one, I loved doing the training and helping technical professionals with the skill sets that we don't learn in school. They're just not taught to us. And secondly, the company saw some really good results. So ultimately, I decided at that time that, you know what, I want to do this more. So I put a program in place within the firm, like a leadership and project management development program. And in 2012, I decided to leave the firm altogether and start the Engineering Management Institute so I could do more of this. And we've spent a lot of time developing free content like this podcast, among many other podcasts and YouTube channels that we have, focused around really helping engineering professionals become better managers and leaders, whether it's in quality control, whether it's project management, whether it's other skill sets. And we even have a YouTube channels for the FE and PE exam preparation as well to help there because I'm a big proponent of getting your license. That's really what we do at EMI. We do the content development and we do a lot of corporate uh, learning and development, project management training and things of that nature. And really, I just want to keep doing what we're doing and keep helping technical professionals develop some of the skills that just are difficult for us to develop because we're not taught these skills, but they're probably critical and paramount to our success in the industry. 
I completely agree. I think I found you when probably on LinkedIn sometime or when I was searching podcasts, trying to find more information about some of those management skills and some of the struggles that I was having in project management and trying to get other perspectives because I worked predominantly for a small firm. And so I didn't get a lot of different opinions. It was always the way we've always done it and not necessarily the best way or the way that my mind thought. So it was, I think that's when I found you and we had been following each other for a while and you've given me this great opportunity to share this platform and I really appreciate it. And I like supporting the industry as you do. So thank you for everything you've done for me. And I'd like to dive into more of the topic of what we want to talk about today. So today we want to talk about project budgets and proposals and fees and where you fit quality control into that. Sometimes it's an afterthought that I've come in contact with, not necessarily on the forethought, but what's your opinion on how you should build some of that into your proposal and into your budget? Yeah, it's a good question and it's an important topic in it. And I think the whole idea for this episode, at least for me, came from conversations with engineers who have this problem where basically you get into a design project, you know how it is, there's deadlines and you get close to those 30, 60%, 90% design plan deadlines and everyone's rushing and everyone wants to get it done. But there has to be, obviously, there needs to be quality control on our projects for all the reasons that Brian's talked about on this podcast so far. And so a lot of times what happens is to do a really good job on quality control, you need to review the plans and specs. You need to take your time with it. Hopefully you have some tools like checklists that you can go through for your firm. But the thing is, is that takes time. How is that time accounted for in your project budget? And I've heard from several project managers that have said, where are we charging this time for all this quality control and a quality review? And so that's really something that has to be thought about even before you get the project, like Brian suggested there in the proposal stage, where when you typically, when you'll do your proposal, I hope you'll have, you know, the different phases of the project that you've broken down, you know, preliminary you might even have like a survey phase in the beginning, you know, final designs, meetings, et cetera. For each of those lines, if you're pricing it out, I really think you need to add some amount of fee into each of those phases for quality control. And that may be a number that your company has an established number for. It may be like a small percentage. It may be a number that you have to come up with on a project by project basis, depending on that project, because every project is different. And, and a lot of companies have wide varying ranges in the, the size of projects they work on. But at the end of the day, you have to budget something in there because if you don't, a lot of bad things can happen. One, obviously you could go over budget, which you never want to do as a PM. But secondly, and I hope this would never happen, but someone could kind of skimp out on doing the quality control or a thorough quality review because they feel like they don't have the time or budget to do it. And that's when really bad things can happen and bad mistakes can happen. I think it's just imperative, Brian, that you try to think through it at the beginning of your projects in the proposal stage. And for those out there that can make company-wide decisions, you can have an influence on that. I would really recommend having some kind of process or procedure in your proposal process or the, the cost estimating process where you're figuring that in. And I always like stress to people to go back and look at what you did on the last job. Were you in a situation where you didn't have enough time or you didn't have enough budget? Because quality control is above and beyond just project management time too, right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And you know, that's another thing. You have to factor in all of like the non-technical tasks, if you will, right? I have project management I have to get involved with, I have quality review I have to get involved with. 
And one of the tips that I got recently from a project manager that I thought was an obvious tip, but maybe it's not so obvious if he was saying it to me was he has seen where a lot of project managers will just keep their projects under one phase, right? It's like one big phase and they work off of that one big phase. And the challenge with that is you really, to Brian's point, you can't really go back and have a lot of good historical data on where the project went wrong. Because if you're just putting all your money in one bucket and you're taking all the time out of that bucket, it's not helpful. So I know it's a little bit of a setup, extra work in the project setup and your time tracking, but if you can make sure you break your project down into phases, then you can go back and say, hey, why were we way over in preliminary, but for the final design, we were under by 10%. Like, What's the difference between those phases? Where do we go wrong? And maybe it ends up that when the plans are preliminary, they take a lot more time for quality review, for example. That could be one of the reasons that you needed more quality time in that phase. So I think, Brian, that that idea of historical data is really important in many aspects of your project, the quality review, your cost estimating, your staffing, your resourcing, and anything you could do to set up your project to give you the ability to go back and look at where things went right or wrong can be very beneficial. I completely agree. I mean, it doesn't have to be very formal. It can be more informal, even in in some regards, depending on how many people we have working on a team. I've seen historically where we assign tasks to different jobs, storm drain design, stormwater design. I've seen it even split between like drafting and design, even though in today's age, a lot more people are doing kind of both in the BIM world and the CAD world. When I started in the industry, it was designers were doing design and then drafters were drafting it. It was very easy to see when you looked at the team, the few times that we actually went back and looked that three out of the five people were being very efficient, the other two were not. And it was very easy to see that in those tasks and how much time different people were spending on tasks. And then it was very easy to ask the question of why they're not. And maybe it was an educational thing. Maybe it was a a training, or maybe they weren't having the resources. They didn't understand the, the end goal. And I think the same can be true with quality reviews. How much time do you have to spend and how comfortable do you need to be with those quality control reviews at preliminary? Or is the person reviewing it getting into final concepts that haven't even been flushed out yet and asking questions that are completely irrelevant to the information that's shown? And not saying that they're not important and they're not important questions to ask, but is that focus and are you getting that equal distribution so that all of your projects are at that same level of expectation? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. I I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's one of those things, and I I tell everyone here at EMI that like it's all about having a really good process with your projects because you're going to do them over and over, right? So it, it makes sense to spend a lot of time putting your process into writing. And this is how when we get a new project, these are the steps we take. When we do cost estimating, these are the steps we take. And then to your point, you know, the more broken down it is, you have just more visibility into these things. But you don't want to wing it on your projects. You know, you want to be able to do the same process over and over. Now, it may change a little bit here and there for each project. Of course, every project is different. But at the end of the day, most projects have similar, very similar stages, especially for the same department, let's say, for example. So I think that that's a really good approach. Another thing that I think can be very helpful, Brian, is using your project schedule and really putting the quality review tasks on the schedule, right? Just calling them out. I mean, I think. They're that important where they should be shown in your project schedule so that number one, your project team makes sure that it happens and it gets done as just part of the project execution. But number two, your client 
also sees that you have that attention to detail. You're paying attention to the quality on their projects. And I think that that's really important. I just don't think that quality control is something that should just be kind of thrown into the mix at the end of the phase or whatever it is. It should be something that's really thought about ahead of time. Like I said, hopefully there's some practices and procedures that you have in place for quality reviews. And it's part of your schedule as part of your project execution. I think that that can go a long way in making sure that you account for it. I completely agree. And and building those milestones, building those opportunities as checks and balances. So when you do get to that deadline and you get to that, oh, it has to go today or it has to go tomorrow morning, that you're not as stressed about it if you've built these other things into your system leading up to that. Yeah, for sure. Like you want to account for it. And when we're accounting for it, we've talked about, you know, budgeting dollars for doing these quality reviews, of course, but you also need to budget your time for it because, you know, if you're doing it right, it's going to take you some time. I'm sure we have an audience of different experience levels here, but for those of you that are maybe less experienced, maybe you're not a licensed professional at this stage in your career, you have to understand that the quality control Whoever's signing and sealing these drawings, there's a lot riding on it for them and for the company, right? In terms of liability and other things. And also that obviously the health and safety of the public, which as engineers, we have to hold paramount. So it's so critical that these reviews get done appropriately. And you have to ensure that you're budgeting the dollars and the time. And maybe you're not responsible for both at this point in your career, right? Like maybe you're like, well, I'm not doing proposals right now, but I, I do have to do the reviews. Then that's fine. Then your focus should be on budgeting the time. But then you should communicate to your supervisor or to your manager, whoever's prepping and doing the cost estimate, hey, just so you know, if you're doing a cost for this project, I'm going to need like a couple of hours to do the project reviews because then this way it's clear communication across the board. Do you recommend designating like one person to do reviews or if they're not part of the project or the fresh set of eyes? Because that goes into how much time it would take for somebody to do a review if they're not even familiar with the project perfect world, it'd be great to have someone look at the project that's not that familiar with it because I feel like they give you different perspectives and they might catch things like, you know, sometimes when you're designing a project, you're so caught up in the weeds on it. It's like one of those things, it's hard to step back and down and look at it for a quality review. You're just going to miss things. So it could be beneficial if you have that resource to have another person. A lot of times, unfortunately, people don't have that resource and they have to rely on someone on the project team, in which case I think it probably should be that same person if you can because they're probably familiar with your quality procedures. They've done it a few times. They know what to look for. But I can tell you right now, for depending on the size of your firm, it can be really beneficial for the firm to have someone that does just quality reviews as a big part of their job. I know at the consulting firm that I worked for, we had hired like an engineer who was retired basically, and he wanted to come back and do some work each week. And it was a perfect job for him. It was just doing quality reviews of all of our projects before they were going out. He had tons of experience in the field. He'd seen a lot of plans in the past. And you know, he took it very seriously as that was really his main job was doing like the quality reviews. So who does it is kind of going to be different in every situation. But if you, if you can have an outside set of eyes, take a look at it for sure. Like Brian said, you might have to budget a little bit more time for them because they have to familiarize themselves with the project. If you can or you're not able to go that route, I would kind of have a... QA, QC person on the team, if you can. The other thing too that I'll mention that I think is also very beneficial is having like a QA or QC committee in your company. I know the consulting firm that I had, we had a committee, I was on the committee. 
and we worked to develop the guidelines and the checklists that were used to check all of the plans. So we would like develop a checklist for every kind of plan, like a stormwater design plan, a roadway plan, and we'd have specific things that we worked on with those departments to have that in place. They were located on the internet. When you were doing that project, you download the thing and you go through it, get a sign off on it. Now it's probably a lot of it can be done online. But I think again, Brian, where we're getting back to is you know your processes, good processes, good procedures that you can carry through on your different projects. That's a ton of great advice. I think we've tackled a lot of different aspects for a lot of different levels, whether you're new, whether you're not. The one thing that I would encourage anybody that's not the licensed professional that's signing and sealing the plans is to recognize that that person, as you mentioned, is liable. They are responsible beyond just the company. I mean, the company has insurance for reasons, but if you're really negligent because you made a mistake, the company may be like, well, sorry, you were negligent. And as the licensed professional, everything you own is on the line. And it's a lot more responsibility than just, oh, I work for this company and I do this work. Once you become that licensed professional, you're really putting your life and your livelihood on the line with everything that you do. I've seen a wide range of professionals that are licensed and how committed they are to quality. Unfortunately, I have seen there's a generation of people that are I worked with one structural engineer that basically said that he overdesigned everything. And if it fell down and collapsed, he was going to be long gone way before it would happen. But I've also worked and I've been in the situation where I was a very new engineer and put into a very unique situation with a dam that had partially collapsed because of a storm event. We did a plan to safely in our best opinion to render it safe and create a situation that was less dangerous to the community. And they wanted to sign and seal on the plan. And I sat there and I thought about that plan for minutes before I signed it. I think my hands were actually shaking because not knowing what was going to happen with that plan after I signed it and whether they were going to be able to execute that plan safely was a whole wide range. And then I've had the full range of, of projects where the reality is it's not that concerning. The emphasis on quality can be a wide range. For sure. And I think what you said is so true. I think until you have a license that you're signing and sealing with, it's hard to understand like all of the responsibility and the liability that comes along with it. It really is. Hopefully, a good manager, a good leader can kind of impart what's at stake. And again, if there's good processes in place, it just builds good habits for people from early on in their careers. And we always want to be proud of our work. We are doing things that are good for the community and good for the public. Yeah, for sure. So as we wrap up, because I want to be courteous of your time, you're a busy man. One segment that we like to include is the power of experience segment. It doesn't have to be involved with what we're doing or talking about today, but like what advice maybe that you've gotten in the past or that you like to instill in others in the work that you do that you'd like to share with this audience? One piece of advice that's really helpful is to try to get hands-on experience and get advice from people that are experiencing the industry as much as you can. A lot of people are going for master's degrees and going for certificates, and I think all that stuff is great, but I also think it's really great to get experience on the job experience because sometimes you don't know how much you're going to like a certain field. You can't really learn that much about it from just reading about it. You need to really experience it for yourself. So I would say for those of you out there that are at any stage of your career, and this means you can even be experienced, but you want to try something different, well, then try it. You know, See if you can find a way to try it, get some hands-on, see what it's like. 
and decide if you want to do it. And I think that's what's one of the amazing things about engineering is that there are so many opportunities out there in the world of engineering. In civil and infrastructure world, where I did my time in when I was practicing, there are jobs that didn't exist when I was there, right? Because of the technologies and things of that nature. So I would say there's lots of opportunities. You can keep your eyes open for them. But if you see something, see if you can try it to experience it in some way. Because for me, I've always found that you don't really understand it until you understand it, if that makes sense. And if you want to make a real career or life decision, if you can get kind of your feet a little bit dirty on it, that's the way to do it. I think that's great advice. What's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you or to get learn more about the work that EMI is doing? Definitely, you could just check out our website, engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. We've got tons of free content there. I think we have like seven podcasts now, three YouTube channels, lots of good stuff. And you could also feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, if you type Anthony Fasano Engineer, I'm pretty sure I'll come up towards the top just because I've got a lot of all these different content streams that we're putting out there. And we're constantly putting the content and the different episodes out through the social media. So please take advantage of all the free information that we've developed. It's free and it's available for you. And I think it can really help engineers in their careers. Thank you again. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Brian. Please remember that you can find show notes for this show and all episodes at engineeringqualitycontrol.com. There you'll find a summary of the points that we've discussed, along with links and resources to the other things that we've mentioned today. Until next time, friends, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.com dot org.